Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Smell Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Boating. This week, join me in conversation with Nikki Kalenphone, who lives with congenital anosmia due to Kalman syndrome. Nikki is originally from Plainville, Connecticut, and is still living in the New England area. We discuss what it was like growing up with congenital anosmia, being born intersex, and much more. Our conversation was recorded in June 2022. Let's listen to the interview. Hi, Nikki. Welcome to the Smell Podcast. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing cool. How you been? I've been doing really well. Thank you. It's been really nice today. I was outside earlier. Um, so I want to start off with you just letting us know a little bit more about yourself. So where are you from and where do you currently live? Me, I'm from Plainville, Connecticut in, in the New England states. So I've been a lifelong New Englander since birth. I'm originally from Thailand, so I immigrated as a baby. So I came to this country as a little kid. Okay, New Englander. That's pretty cool. I've actually never been to a lot of those states. So definitely on my bucket list. Like um, Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm, none of them. Rhode Island, Connecticut. I've been to Rhode Island and Connecticut and uh, Massachusetts. I don't know if that counts or not. Yeah, they are. They, they're, they're part of the New England states. So I, I, live, I live around there and it's been my stomping grounds. Nice. Um, so what do you do for work? Me right now, I work at FedEx Express. I am a, a ramp agent, so I help load and unload cargo off airplanes. Okay, that's great. I wanted to speak with you specifically because you have anosmia. So can you tell us a little bit more about your anosmia story? Yep, I was born with Kalman syndrome. I had the Cal 1 variation, which is what they call Amos, Amos 1, but to me, I still stick with the Cal 1 variation because it's the one that I know the most. And I was diagnosed with having Kalman syndrome as far back as 1979, but they didn't confirm it until 1983 because of the technology back then. So I had, I had surgery when I was that young. And then ever since then, I was put on testosterone for the rest of my life. And then I got tested again in 1996. And then again in 2015, when they found out that due to my Kalman syndrome, I have a missing chromosome 16. Wow, lots of genetic stuff then going on. When you were little and, and it's not, I don't know, how old were you when you first learned about the Kalman syndrome? I learned about the Kalman syndrome about around 1993 when I was trying to join the military. Okay. And, and what was that like for you when you heard about Kalman syndrome? When I heard about it, I heard I delved into all the medical records, what they've done to me as a kid, and delved into the part where they wanted to basically do SRS surgery on me, and their decision was based on if I was sensitive to testosterone. And then I, and I heard about it through my pediatric endocrinologist. Thank God she's still alive and, I was, and I'm still able to chat with her. Yeah, so if you want to, we can dive into that a little bit more. So yeah. by, by SRS, you mean, is that the sexual reassignment surgery? Yep, yep. because- 
So you that found out was, later when you were a teenager that yeah, you I found I found that out when I was a teenager because what happened was in 1983 and 84 when they wanted when they did the surgery on me, they had a they had a fight in the conference room over what to do. They said one one pediatric urologist said there was no way I was going to have a reproductive future. So that so his his opinion was just cut the genitals out and turn me into a girl. But luckily my uh, pediatric endocrinologist said, nope, we're not doing that because she, she was far, far thinking into the future saying technology's coming down the line and there'll be better technology for me. I mean, what was that like for you to find out as, as a teenager that you had had this kind of surgery? Or I had that hanging over my head. It was it was it was jaw dropping to say the least. And then when I got to see my uh, doctor, I started throwing him into the corner and said, "What the hell were you doing to me? What right. the hell did you do to me as a child and as a teenager?" You know. Right, and so and I and then I asked them like, like, what was this idea of doing? SRS on me at a young age in 1983 and 84. So was the SRS surgery because of the Kalman syndrome? It, it was not only because of the Kalman syndrome, it was because of the fact that part of my Kalman syndrome, which is the Cal 1 version, I have ambiguous genitalia, gynecomastia, I have mm-hmm. a micropenis, and basically I was born with no smell and I have sensory neuro hearing loss. So there were a lot of different things that were going on for you. Yep. So and, go ahead. And, and, then, and then when I talked to my uh, pediatric gynecologist at the time, he said like this, the only reason why we didn't do this to you was because your pediatric gynecologist at a younger age stopped it all and stop their pediatric urologist from, from going forward with it. Mm-hmm. And, and, she, and they said that she had the foresight to, to save my body, just hoping that sometime in the distant future, medical technology gets better enough to repair things. Right, or, or where you would be old enough to make some decisions for yourself at that point. Yep, yep. And, I, and, I, and, and, I, and I go like this, I thank God that I have like uh, women that are that are endocrinologists. They have the foresight to say, no, we're not right. doing this unless we go through a medical ethics board. Mm-hmm. So I've spoken with other people who have Kalman syndrome who have been on the podcast. And mm-hmm. it's so interesting to me that anosmia is a part of the condition. So is there a moment for you that you can remember when you figured out that you couldn't smell? Oh, that was, that was basically like in, in like past high school, when I graduated high school, started going to college. Uh And when I, when I tried to figure out why can't I smell steak? Why can't I smell chicken or turkey or somebody passing gas? Right. Eventually it took a, it took a nurse practitioner and thank God she's still alive taught me about my whole condition. 
Yeah. So, I mean, were, were there moments for you when you were like in elementary school or middle school where people would talk about smell and you didn't really understand what was happening? I, uh, uh, I was, I was a young kid. I was just trying to grow. I was just trying to grow up, have fun, get bumps, scrapes and bruises. Right. So that's interesting to me that, um, you didn't focus on it as much until college age. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's really interesting. And then you kind of started to dive into, into it. It's like, yep, that was at that time when I started, started learning about biology and science and had a lot of biology teachers teach mm-hmm. me about genetics and my condition. Right. So one question I have for you as someone as well, who has an osmia myself, I have some coping skills some things that I do. Um, but I'm curious, how do you figure out if your food is bad, if it's gone bad? Oh, we have a system at home. My family knows I can't smell. So what they, te- what they do for me is they label all the foods with the dates on it. Mm. And they, they always remind me to go, Hey, you got to check the, did you look at the date? Look at the calendar. You see, they, right. they, they have me write two days, like the day that I brought it and the day that has to be used by. Ah. Uh. So it's marked very well in the refrigerator. That's a good system. I'm curious growing up and now, since it's something that you've never had a sense of smell, do you think that anosmia has impacted the foods that you choose to eat or because you've never had it? Do you think it does not impact you? I, I could, I could say this with, with having no smell, I could go for a whole day without thinking of food until somebody throws food right in front of me. Mm. The second, second a food item gets thrown in front of me, then it clicks into my brain, go, Ooh, food time to eat. That's, but not before that. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. I'm for me as an acquired anosmic, I have vague, vague memories of what foods smelled like before. But now I think it is more perfunctory. It's just something that you have to go do. Mm-hmm. You have to go and make dinner or you have to go and eat breakfast. For me, I get hungry. So I, I hear you and I hear other people say that they can go long stretches without anything. And that makes sense. But for me, I get hungry still. So I'm like, yeah. oh, but, gotta go, gotta me, go eat something. Me, like I can go through long stretches without eating until somebody throws food on the table and then it clicks in my brain and goes, uh-huh. time to eat. <laughs> oh, I'm hungry. Yep. Yep. So, and, and, and that has, that has, that has an impact on a lot. And sometimes where I work at, when people ask me, it's like this, how do you, how do you know if the, if, if the place is smoking or, or if it smells bad, I just tell people, I don't, I don't smell it. They just mm-hmm. let me know. And I have like a very loud, smoke detector. Yeah. What I found out a while ago, um, we, we moved, my husband and I moved into a new home last November. And Mm -hmm. in this place, I learned being an anosmic that the fire alarm actually says like fire alarm. It's like, it talks, it says the fire alarm is ringing or something like that. And I'm like, so it's verbal. So there's a, there's a noise like the fire alarm actually, but then it also speaks and I just thought it was so funny because I was like, oh, that's a good, that's a good thing for them to add for us who have anosmia. 
One thing like this with me particular, because I have no sense of smell, is that mm-hmm. sometimes I don't read people very well. Because mm. how they do things, how they say things, their body language, their their BO and everything, because I can't process all those. It takes another person to tell me, you just blew them off or you just said something weird. Mm. Yeah, I think that smell definitely has a lot of impact on like our social lives. And mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people realize that, but for sure, um, there's a lot of situations where like you and I wouldn't necessarily know if someone had been like smoking or drinking and other people would have cues, you know, mm-hmm. in a social situation. Oh, the funny thing is, is like this, my, my family like this was impacted by COVID your family was impacted by COVID. So did they lose their sense of smell? Let's see. My mom lost her sense of smell temporarily. I was Uh permanent, but they were, my doctors were shocked that like, because I have Kalman syndrome, because I'm on testosterone replacement for life. They were like shocked that you, I live in a house with my mother and my father. My father passed away from COVID and my mom had it and I didn't get it. And they were like, there's something that I may have hold the key. Oh, that's very interesting. I'm sorry to hear about your dad. Yeah, he died. He died like, I, like, uh, I believe it was 2022, like 2021. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Just recently then. Yep. I'm so sorry again to hear that. When your mom lost her sense of smell, did she had she... to come to me a lot because yeah. she, she didn't understand what's it like to lose her smell. She lost her smell temporarily, but I lost mine permanently. I had to tell her, welcome to my world. I That's what I'm curious about. Did she come to you for like tips and tricks or was she able to empathize more with you? Yep. She's able to understand that because I'm, I'm born with no smell, that she understands that it takes a lot to get me to eat. Mm. It takes a lot of encouragement. It's like, it's like you got, it's like Pavlov's theory with the dog and the bell. You Uh got food in front of me to to make me think like, oh yeah, time to eat. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that you work. um, And so I'm curious when smell comes up in daily life, you were talking about at work, like people wondering about how you can't tell if there's like smoke or something. Oh, I'll give you, I'll give you a couple examples. Mm-hmm. When I used to work at FedEx ground and they had me go into a trailer, sometimes the trailers, they would come to me and say, this trailer smells. And I, and I walk in, I go, I don't smell nothing. And they're, mm-hmm. and they're shocked and they almost dropped their jaws in front of me going, how could you not smell that? And then I tell them I'm born with no smell. So when you, yeah, when that comes up, do you take the time to explain to them about Kalman syndrome? Oh yeah. Hell yeah. And when they, and, and then when they find out what I'm born with, they're even shocked that I exist. Mm. They're like, they're like, how the hell do you, do you live and walk on this planet with, with losing two senses of smell and still have three others? Right. And they're like, if I knew I wouldn't be here, I'd be locked up in some lab somewhere. <laughs> and that's the funny thing with Kalman syndrome, especially for me, because pe- when people look at me, they go like this. You don't look like 46 years old. You look like 26 or 36. Mm. 
I tell people like this, if I ever knew the secret to the fountain of youth, my endocrinologist and her, her four her four girls that take care of me would have me locked up in the lab somewhere. Right. So this next question that I have for you is one that I ask all guests. So there's no right or wrong answer, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on it. But do you self-identify as having a disability based on your anosmia? Nah, with, with a combination of all my other disabilities, they they add on to mine. You get, for me, I'm one of the... I'll say this. I'm one of the rarest human beings that have two rare diseases in one body. Mm. I have vitiligo also, which is what Michael Jackson used to have. Okay. Yeah. So everybody asked me, how can I be, how can, how can I survive with that? I go, if I only knew. That's curious that you have another condition that is maybe more impactful than the anosmia. Well, the other, the vitiligo is an autoimmune, so it, so it affects my immune system. Okay. So, what would you like people who do not have anosmia to know about what it's like living with it? Well, first off, is to have understanding what's it like not being able to smell smell food or smell bad odor around the house, because many times when I tell people I can't smell if their bathroom stinks, I have to have somebody with a, with the ability to nose to go in there and, and tell me. And many times it's like when people ask me, did you smell that steak or did you smell that buffalo wing? I go like, no, nah, I didn't smell it, but I just saw it. Definitely visual cues are, are helpful when you have no sense but, of smell. So being a visual, that's why it's like this. I've noticed this in terms of how I learn things is that I'm more visual than than all the other stuff. Mm. So I have to visually see in order to understand, learn, and grasp the knowledge. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's why that's why I kind of think that people who are born with no smell are more visual learners than than like uh, the all the other types. Yeah, that could be true for sure. Mm-hmm. So at this point in your life, if you could have a sense of smell, would you want one? <laughs> When, when we tell you what I tell my endocrinologist, mm-hmm. if I could, if I could be able to smell and reproduce, I'd be running for the hills and never be found ever again. Is that good or bad? Because I've never, I never had, I never had no ability to smell. So I don't have a way to process all the smells. Right. So I wouldn't be able to process like all the smells that like are, are bombarding my brain. So it's mm-hmm. like going what's the smell? What's the smell? Just think of bloodhounds, how they process all that smell. So it might be overwhelming. It, it would, it would overload my brain pretty much. So not interested basically. At the, unless they, unless they like taught it, you know, I've heard others with anosmia say that they like congenital anosmia, I mean, say that they would be interested in it if they could try it out first. I would, I would be at that point too, but I would wait until the science can, can repair it. If the, if the science, if we come up with the technology for it and I, and I, and I often said this to my endocrinologist, I said, within a hundred to 150 years, we'll be at a technology where we can repair like every damage in the body and basically repair everything that mother nature broke. 
Mm. Including the ability to smell and the ability to hear, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if we come up with the technology for that, I'd be like, I'll be like this. If MIT or any other top technology school in the country or in the world came up with it, I'd be banging at their door saying, hey, I want to try it. Yeah, that makes sense. I would be very interested in getting a sense of smell back, but I, I think it would be overwhelming. Yep. It, they would have to figure out a way how to make it work. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd have to try it. They'd have to come up with like, like, basically I go like this in order, in order for me to be able to fix everything that happened to me, they would have to come with truckloads of data. Yeah. For you to trust it. Yep. I mean, if they, if my, if my endocrinologist brought me a truckload of data saying, Hey, we have the technology to repair whatever damage to you and whatever, whatever happened to you, like through your DNA, that, that knocked your smell and hear, hearing, we can fix it. Yeah. That, I mean, just, I, I'm, but I'm waiting for that truckload of data to come in. Yeah, absolutely. I always think it would be exciting to have something like a cochlear implant, how there is for hearing, if there could be some similar thing, but for smell. Yeah. It's going to take a while. It's going to take, I, I've often said like this, to repair the ability to smell would take about 100 to 150 years. Yeah. That, in, 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 in layman's terms, we have to get to the level of Star Wars and Star Trek technology for that to happen. Yeah. I mean, you hope, hope it will take less time than that. But, I mean, that seems reasonable, honestly. Yeah. That's how, that's how I use the benchmark. I say... If we can get to the level of Star Wars and Star Trek, where the, where the technology is, mm-hmm. I'd be like, yeah, medicine can advance so much. We can repair everything that Mother Nature damaged. Yeah. So, Nikki, is there anything else that you would like to share with listeners? As far as like being, not being able to smell, I just want to say it's like this. Just take, take the time to know, know the person and... Sometimes, like, with me, because I can't smell, I can't read people very well. Mm. And sometimes I can, and when I look, when I can't smell, and I go, I can't, I can't understand what he's saying or doing. Right. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. And sometimes with not being able to smell, it's often a hindrance because sometimes there are good odors I would love to smell in my lifetime yeah absolutely i'd love to be able to smell like coffee in the morning steak you know yeah so when people describe smells to you what is that like is that helpful sometimes helpful but sometimes i'm like i wish i had that ability right yeah i know because of my dna my genetics and being born with kalman syndrome that kind of makes it a lot difficult. And sometimes I'm envious of, of people who have the ability to smell that I don't. No, I understand that completely. So my last question for you is how can listeners connect with you on social media? Well, I do have a, I do, I do have a blog, which I'll send you the link. 
And I'm also and I also have my own podcast show too. So awesome. Yep. I do I do have that too. So I'll send you that as well. Yeah. If you can send me the links to the blog and yep. the podcast episodes, um, I'll absolutely make sure to add those to the episode notes. Mm-hmm. What's your podcast? And then, and, then, and then and then the one thing I want to talk about is that my story that I that I showed you. Uh-huh. When people at a young age heard about my condition and heard about what I'm born with, people were so shocked, especially a lot of women. They were like, how can you be born with this and still be alive? Mm. I've had, I'll give you a couple examples. Whenever I go see my uh, endocrinologist, I have like four or five, six med students right behind her. Because you're so unique. Yep. And uh, I'm considered to her a lab rat. So it's like, so it's like she teaches like reproductive endocrinology to the med students and goes, well, here's a chance to meet my lab rat. Oh, wow. I mean, are you okay with that phrase? I'm okay with that because part of, part of my Kalman syndrome, I go see a scientist at the Massachusetts General Hospital and she shares my data with other scientists including one scientist that runs the smell lab right next to the University of Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Yep. And and then she shares it with a scientist that works with me at the National Institutes of Health. That's awesome. So what's nice about it is I'm helping to advance science one way or the other. That's true. Yeah, that's a good feeling at least. Yeah, and and then the and the good thing is is that my DNA is, is on their files, so they so any any professor can look and go, gee, what's up with this DNA? Yeah, that's really that's really cool. That leads me to kind of another random question that I have is, have you met anyone else in person who has Kalman syndrome? Oh heck yeah, we we had I've met one at a. In my hometown, he's a teenager who has it, and and I've been to like like meetups where other people have Kalman syndrome around the globe, mm-hmm. and it's kind of interesting when people ask what version do you have, what version you have. I tell them when I have the Cal one, it's like the classic Kalman syndrome, which means it's the well known one that almost everybody has. That's good that you've been able to meet someone else in person who has it too. It's mm-hmm. always nice to meet others who understand what you're dealing with. And then, and then, and then, and then when the funny thing is when I meet with others that have Kalman syndrome and I tell them I also have vitiligo, it sets me one leg apart from them. It's like, it's like, I tell them, Hey, I'm one of the few rare humans that have two rare conditions in one body. And then they, and then they, yeah, they, they ask me, how do I manage all that? I go, I have a well, good team that does that. That's awesome. Well, Nikki, I want to say thank you to you for coming on the podcast and sharing your story with us. I will definitely share your links in the episode notes so that people can connect with you and especially your podcast. I think Mm -hmm. that's great that you have one. Yeah, I have my own podcast. I talk, I talk about like, I, I talk about like commentary, whatever's on the news. I want to give my my two dollars worth of opinions mm-hmm. and my blog is when I whatever is anything that's on my mind 
anything that like hits the like the national news I want to give an opinion and feedback on okay yeah but the funny but the funny thing is is like funny thing is we're like having Kalman syndrome is when people try to try to like say to me like you, you I'm never gonna grow old that's part of it yep because I'm always gonna look younger than my age yep so it's gonna be like how the heck do you get away with all that we'll get carded for a really long time I've been used to it <laughs> when people look at me and they go no way it, they the, the biggest question they ask what's your doctor doing to you I tell I tell them if my endocrinologist knew I would not be here standing talking to you and she's kind of cool with that she she always she always likes to to present me at grand rounds one grand round I went to with her I had one med school professor ask me are they doing anything to change your biological sex or your gender and I said no way no dice and the current technology is not doable. So it's kind of cool with that. Well, Nikki, I want to say thanks again for coming on the podcast. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you to Nikki for coming on the podcast and sharing more of her story with all of us. Make sure to connect with Nikki by checking out her blog and podcast. All the links are included in the episode notes. The Smell and Taste Association of North America is the first patient organization focused on smell and taste disorders in the USA. To find out more, visit Stana's website online at www.thestana.org. Stana is an official 501c3 nonprofit, so any donations are tax deductible. We're still fundraising to help all of us with smell and taste disorders, so please donate on our website if you can. Check out the latest series of programming called Stana Live Sensory Insights on Instagram where we interview people from the world of taste and smell. You can visit our Instagram page to view all of the previous interviews, and you will also now find Stana on YouTube. For any questions, or if you'd like to get involved, please visit the website or email us at info If you're enjoying listening to the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Reviews are helpful because they allow others to find the show. And if you'd like to donate to support the podcast, you can do so by clicking on the link in the episode notes. I appreciate your support, and thank you to everyone who's currently contributing to the show. Until next time, have a great day. Mm